Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening. It's Tuesday the 15th of August. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103. Coming up between now and 8pm, loan offers on houses could be withdrawn due to conveyancing delays. That's according to the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. Its CEO Pat David will be along later on to explain what's happening and indeed what can be done to solve that particular situation. Amazon and other such firms in the United States are sending emails to staff urging them to attend the office and they've been tracking the attendance of workers in order to monitor compliance with their hybrid working policies. A really interesting and potentially contentious topic. So Caroline Reedy of the HR Suite will be along too to delve a little bit deeper into that and look at what companies need to be doing in order to see, well, what can you do? What are you allowed to do? And what indeed is permissible? What's acceptable? What's ethical? And, and so on. Looking forward to that one a little bit later in the show. Also, I want to introduce you to Mobility Installations. They're a company that has celebrated its first birthday recently. They're based down in Emo. And then later I'll be talking to their co-founder, Michael White. And Viking Mike McDonald from Viking Boat Tours at Loan is going to talk about the tourist season. Now, we all know it was the wettest July on record, or certainly in a long, long time, in living memory for a lot of us. It has had an effect on the tourism sector. So so, so has the lack of accommodation around towns like Atlone and other towns around the Midlands too. So uh, Mike will be along later on to talk about the effect it's had on their business and uh, hopefully August and indeed September will be maybe even more positive months for them. To join the conversation on this evening's show, as always, you can do so by text or WhatsApp on 083 30 10 103. Always look forward to hearing from you. If there's another story that you'd like to put on Get in touch with me on and propose to come on air. Business at midlands103.com is the email. Both the Giant Stevens conversation, text or WhatsApp, text or audio, happy to take your messages. But first this evening, I'm going to uh, look at an interesting proposal from Midlands MEP Colm Markey. Colm, of course, is a Midlands Northwest uh, elected member since November 2020. He's a member of the Fine Gael Party and indeed he has made a call recently for the introduction of a culture and media card to be gifted to young people on their 18th birthday as part of the upcoming budget 2024. Colm joins me now. Good evening, Colm. Good evening. Colm, this sounds like a really interesting proposal. Um, I know you were in Mullingar last week attending the Flat Cule and you've mentioned that recently too, that it really you know, inspired your thoughts around this type of thing in order to encourage young people to engage and engage more with culture and media and the arts. How do you see this card working? Well, essentially what we're looking at is a €200 Euro voucher that would be available through an app. And the app then, you'd use the app to access the voucher, but you'd also use the app, if you like, to promote Indigenous uh, arts and literature, music, uh, content that would be available. Uh, I suppose we were looking at it on two levels. One is in relation to the young people themselves, that gives them the opportunity to explore the arts, music and culture. And if you like, to discover their own interests or whatever, but also maybe... Uh, open up their own creative talents as well. I think when you look at young people and what they've come through in, tr- in terms of COVID, and, and if you like the way the sector, the, the arts and culture sector has been closed down to them for a number of years, 
we really need to do something to stimulate a, an interest, I suppose, for people that spend a lot of time, if you like, on online and getting digital content, international digital content. Well, this is an opportunity to promote some indigenous uh, culture. It can be contemporary, it can be, let's say, up-and-coming bands, but essentially it's, it's, it's to support, if you like, uh, the, the, the indigenous sector. And I suppose that's the other side of this. Uh, one area that suffered through COVID is the, is the if you like, the, the cultural sector. And this is an opportunity to inject significant funding into that sector. And if you like, it, it's only recovering from COVID and it's a chance to boost their audiences. And get, like the person may access the voucher, but they won't go to, to the theatre on their own. They'll bring someone with them, maybe a few people with them. And that'll be an injection of, of footfall in their theatres or music venues. And it'll support the industry as much as it'll support the young people. Of course, uh, Budget 2024 is coming up very, very shortly for us. You're a member of one of the government parties at the minute, so how have your calls been greeted so far? Have you got any support from from party members or indeed those key decision makers? Well, certainly I've got good support from party members and a number of people have commented to me that that they think it's it's an excellent idea. Now, we have been, we've sent letters in in relation to it to the the Minister for Finance and uh, various other ministers in relation to it. So we haven't really got feedback on that as of yet. But I think certainly on the ground it's been received quite well. I suppose the reality is you're probably talking about a spend of about 13 million when you take into account there's probably about 65,000 people become 18 every year. So if you multiply that up, it's at the upper end it'll be it'll be 13 million, and and that's if everyone took it up. And probably people will only take it up to some degree, and others mightn't take it up at all. But I think in the overall context, it's an investment in the sector and it's an investment to young people. And when you talk about it, when you consider that, the impact it could have, it's relative small change relative to what it could achieve. Yeah, it's relative small change, I suppose, in light of the, the exchequer returns that we're experiencing in this country, particularly at a time of, you know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of pressure on people in terms of the cost of living and stuff. So 13 million in the grand scheme of things, I think there'll be a lot of merit in that as well. And um, we, I know you were in Mullingar last week too. It was quite evident there, the Irish music scene seems to be thriving. There's over 600,000 people there. Are there any particular areas of the arts and, and media sector that you think are really will need, need this card maybe more than others and indeed maybe need a bit of extra support from the government? Well, I think there's a couple of areas. I think if you look at, let's say, you talk about the, the if you like, the FLA and the tra- traditional music. Traditional music has been at the foundation of a lot of our contemporary music in Ireland. Most of the acts that you know that became famous from Ireland, the background was in traditional music. So certainly to support that sector and support up-and-coming acts would be very important. The other thing I think is very important is both a... A, let's say theatre groups, be it voluntary theatre groups or professional theatre groups in, let's say, a rural towns or, or like the smaller professional theatre companies, that that they need support. They're ones that maybe uh, over the over the time of COVID got hard to. Obviously, they couldn't put on shows and, if you like, lost maybe some of their key people as well. So the like of let's say local theatre companies and also professional lo- local theatre companies, if you like. I think that's an area I'd really, really like to see supported because I think certainly theatre and, let's say, a contemporary play, um, you, you know of the old traditional plays, but the modern type theatre and drama that we've seen over the, over the last 10 or 20 years 
is very interesting and I think anyone that gets exposed to it and I certainly enjoyed it over the years I think it's an area that we really need to promote more because it has faded a lot in the last number of years Absolutely and right across the Midlands there in all in all our main towns now including Tullamore earlier this year there now is a fully fledged art centre and indeed I'm sure all those organisations and centres would, would very much greet a card like this Column, hopefully it is something that comes about and um, I think it would be a very interesting initiative and I'm uh, looking forward to hearing more but for now Column Markey thank you so much for coming on this evening Thank you. Colin Markey there is a Midlands MEP and uh, indeed proposing that idea of a culture and media card to be gifted to young people when they turn 18 in order to, you know, drive and, and indeed increase business and activity within the arts and media se- uh, sectors there too, or the culture and media sectors. Um, really interesting idea. And uh, let me know what you think. 083 103 text or WhatsApp. Time for a quick break. After that, I'm going to go across to Athlone, speak to a Viking. Taking care of business with thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Have you ever stepped back 1,200 years and joined the Vikings on a replica Viking ship in Athlone? Well, you can cruise up the River Shannon to Loch Ree or down the river to the monastic settlements and the round towers of Clonmacnoise whilst getting a live commentary from the Vikings on board. You see the beauty of the River Shannon, its flora, fauna, birds, fish life, everything else. Fun and excitement for all the family. And you know what? Possibly one of the best Irish coffees you might ever taste as well. All of this is because of Viking Mike, better known as Mike McDonald. Mike is on the line now. Uh, very good evening, Mike. Good evening, Ronan. How are you? I couldn't, I couldn't have put that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll employ you as my PR executive. Well, there we go. Now, I'll tell you one thing. I, I can attest to the quality of those Irish coffees. I think Viking George made us one. We ran it about two Viking years ago. Viking George, yeah. Oh, he, he it makes was. a great uh, and Yeah, we had, 50, we had 52 Canadians back from Tom McNeice today. And like that now, he, they had the Irish coffees and the Bailey's coffees and... They just couldn't believe it. So uh, they couldn't. I think the quality of the coffee and the whiskey and the cream, but I think the yes, setting yes, as well, yes, ev- everything yes. adds to it. But of course, Mike, look at your, your your Viking boat tour. It's synonymous with that loan at this stage, a hugely popular tourist attraction. But in the Westmead Independent there, a couple of days ago, there was talks that some tourism operators reckon that business is down by about 60%. Uh, what's the main driver of that, do you think, Mike? I suppose the main driver is probably people going away abroad um, uh, post-COVID, and it seems to have taken off really this year. And uh, I suppose the weather hasn't helped. And then hotel prices not being competitive. That's, that's, I, I put it down to those three things, you know. Yeah, the hotels has been a kind of bone of contention for a while. And I think, you know, everybody acknowledges there is a humanitarian crisis being dealt with too. But uh, certainly pricing is wanting. Are you noticing that, that lack of maybe um, non-domestic tourists too? Oh, a big time, as we call it, my, my casual walk on trade. My groups are fine, Ronan. Yeah. There's no problem with, with the group bookings, with tour operators and all that. But it's just uh, the casual, the walk on trade. I would say I'm looking at being down maybe, I could be as much as 80% down. It's it's absolutely colossal, you know. And I, I don't necessarily blame the hotels. Like, it's supply and demand. And it's government policy that's, that the, uh, the the hotels are being used for foreign nationals. So, like, there's, there's not a lot we can do about that, you know. That's it as well. And you've the double whammy then, of course, of, of the bad weather. I mean, we've one of the wettest Julys on yeah. record too. That surely affects yeah. football, which as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that that didn't help. So it didn't, you know. And, you know, other things are things, things are fine. Like, I I, I survive. I, I'm 25 years at it now. But it's um, it's certainly. I mean, like, I give an example now. We will be getting day trips with coaches. Um, whereas. They, they would normally maybe stay overnight or for a couple of nights. And that's not happening anymore because they can't get the hotel accommodation. Yeah. So there's other other um, businesses in town are losing out because of that, you know. 
yeah, there's a wider knock-on for for the rest of. Uh, there's a huge wider knock-on, you know. Like there's, you know, there's one particular coach company would come to me at least once a week. They would normally stay two or three nights in a local hotel, and uh, they're not doing that now anymore. They're just doing day trips, you know. So there's 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 knock-ons for other businesses as well, big big knock-ons, you know, mm-hmm. like just coffee shops and pubs and even uh, drapery and all that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, and that that's really it's kind of con- contradictory to like the strategy for the last number, maybe ten years, from the likes of Board Folger has been to try and increase the number of of overnight stays in the Midlands and, and to stop that, people right. stopping off just passing through. So, kind of a is it a worrying trend? Do you think, or, or how does it how does it reverse it's itself? It's a little bit because I, you know, I don't, this war isn't going to end anytime soon. And, uh, you know, I said, I've no problem with the, with the foreign nationalists being here whatsoever. So I haven't. Um, I, I would have had some incoming tour operators do, this year doing kind of recce's for maybe next season or the season after. And like, like that now, they're just saying to me, look, you, you won't see us until your hotels become more competitively priced, you know. So that's, that's kind of worrying and that's disappointing. How many, how many sailings do you do in a, in a typical summer season? Normally we'd be doing about four public sailings a day and then in the evening times we might have corporate work or maybe a wedding group or some kind of a party group or something like that. But no, normally four public sailings a day. Yeah. And does that, do you have to reduce that then with the, with the lack, with the fall off? In, in, I, in I, I, we've cut, yes. There was, especially when we got the, the real bad weather there, we just cut out sailings completely. There was days when it's two sailings, you know. Yeah. Is it the but you're not going to, I'm kind of the opposite to Ryanair. He, he's at full capacity on, on every load. I'm, I'm completely the opposite, you know. Yeah, that's it. That, that raises its own ethical issues too, maybe. But uh, is it the worst you've seen in the 25 years, do you think? Um, or oh, definitely it's the worst as, as regards the, the passing trade, the walking trade. There's no question about that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no question, you know. It sounds like something needs to change anyway. But look at Mike, 25 years, as I say, you'll probably weather that storm, no pun intended. And Well, look, you know, I've seen plenty of storms before, so I've weathered through them, so we'll get through this one, you know. Absolutely. But it'll probably take a few hours to settle down. Absolutely, you know, you could be yeah. looking, could be looking to go to another five years now of it being up and down and varied, you know. Yeah. Well, look, at hopefully hopefully something can change as well. We had Colin Markey on there before. Yeah. You're talking about trying to encourage you know, young people to get more involved with the culture and media side of the things too. So hopefully similar initiatives and, and, and real initiatives can be brought in to help the tourism and indeed look at those other challenges and try and solve those. And I look at Mike, wishing you all the very best. Keep up the fantastic work and I look forward right. to, to another Irish coffee with George sometime soon. Do, do, as soon as you can, Ron. You're, you're more than welcome. Not at all. Thanks for right. being Mike. All Thanks. the very best. Yeah. talk bye. to you again. Bye. 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 That is Mike McDonald, or better known as Viking Mike there from the Viking Boat Tours in Athlone. Um, you can check them out there across their websites, vikingtoursireland.ie. And as Mike points out there, you know the passing trade, the footfall is down significantly. He sees his business is down about 90 or 80 to 90%, sorry, 70 to 80% this season. That's a significant drop off. You know, when you think of the impact that COVID and lockdowns had on our tourism sector, and then you're hit with you know, the lack of accommodation, which is not just coming, it's not just an assumption or an assertion being made by business owners. It's based on fact. They're seeing that. They're seeing that for next year with people looking to book tours. And if we're not getting the overnights as well, there's something, we've got to try and do something as well. If you've any ideas, any thoughts, any suggestions or opinions, 083 103 is the text and WhatsApp number. Time for a quick break. After that, we're going to look at what Amazon and Google and some of the big American companies are doing in order to ensure compliance with their hybrid working model. This whole thing is getting very complicated, very confusion, confusing, and indeed 
possibly very contentious. Stay tuned. Talk to you very shortly. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. A little bit later on taking care of business, I'll be talking to Pat David from IPAV and they are noticing and indeed have surveyed a lot of their members about delays in conveyancy when it comes to uh, the transfers of property. So much so that they believe a lot of loans may be actually cancelled or offers will be taken off the market because of the long drawn out process. Pat will talk about what they're noticing from their members and indeed from customers and also what they propose to do about that or how they can go and maybe solve or rectify that situation. And very shortly too, you'll meet Michael White, the co-founder of Mobility Installations down in Emo. But first, the whole thing around remote working, hybrid working, working from home was sure to bring about a huge amount of change and bring about change it most certainly did. The way a lot of people work is entirely different. You hear from people who say they don't know how they would manage to move kids around during the summer, to bring them to camps, to bring them to school, to bring them wherever else without the ability to work from home. And it begs the question, how did we manage pre-COVID and pre-pandemic times? Well, one thing we know for sure, working from home or indeed hybrid working is definitely here to stay. Now, of course, there are there is a huge section of the workforce that work entirely remotely. We're going to focus tonight on those people who do work from home maybe two days, maybe three days a week, and then those hybrid workers. And recently in the States, it has transpired that companies like Amazon, Google and Zoom have really started to try to reinforce that whole idea of getting back to the office. Not just reinforce maybe, but actually enforce it and bring people back in for at least two days, possibly three days too. And they've begun to monitor employees' compliance with the remote working or the hybrid working model too. This is an area that could get very, very complex. It could get very complicated. It could even get contentious. It could bring the uh, the chickens home to roost for some people. It could actually be an eye-opener. It could be a godsend for other people because it might allow them to really put structure and, and gain that clarity around their hybrid roles. Well, to kind of lift the manhole on this one and jump down and see exactly what's happening with in the States and indeed what may be happening across Irish offices very shortly, I'm delighted to be joined by Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite. Uh, very good evening, Caroline. Delighted to talk to you, Ronan. Good evening. Caroline, the fact that these big uh, tech companies are beginning to monitor compliance with the hybrid working policies and models is probably no surprise, but what do we know about what's happening with them? So I suppose up to now, it's been a very flexible approach and it has been encouraged that you would make a presence in the office depending on the company. Some of them have requirements to be in the office two days, more three days. But it's a big, I suppose, shift that we've really seen in the last couple of months where people are now enforcing the requirement to be in the office. Whereas in the past, a lot of organisations were much more relaxed about saying, look, just come in when, when it suits or when you need to do collaborative type of work. And then we've seen organisations put in place a three and two We've seen a lot of the civil service in Ireland, a lot of private companies now having either remote policies for recruiting people fully remote. But we're also seeing a lot of companies with the requirement of a hybrid because particularly for newer employees, Ronan, we're finding that there's definitely a huge advantage in having the sitting by Nelly or 
really, depending on the job it is, more types, you know, for example, accountancy type jobs, they're saying they can manage that training and induction better than maybe more complex jobs that, you know, hearing, you know, the different types of experiential learning is a case. So lots of learnings and lots of changes uh, coming about as we go into the next quarter of this year. And of course, this really came to light because Amazon apparently sent an email to employees who had badged in fewer than three days a week um, for five or more of the past eight weeks, um, for five or more of the past eight weeks. So they really have set, I guess, the, 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 the metrics by which they want people to comply. And I guess that's going to open up that whole area of productivity because the one message we were kind of all screaming from the rooftops about during COVID was how productive people were working from home. This would then, would this indicate that Amazon are maybe seeing that slightly differently? And indeed, is it not counterproductive to just you know, change that metric to days clocked into the office and are we not back to that scenario of, uh, you know, I'm clocked in or presenteeism, I think is the word, I'm clocked in, but I'm not emotionally checked in. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we've learned is there's huge advantages to giving people flexibility where when they're at work, they're fully tuned in, they're fully able to contribute and there's certain types of work that's very conducive to. For a lot of these companies, they're saying that for the collaborative type of work, for the kind of creative, for the innovative, those kind of types of projects, they're finding that that's not as good potentially as it would have been in the past. Now, a lot of that research is probably anecdotal still because it's so soon after the transition to real remote working and real hybrid working because to me, there's a big distinction between what we were doing during the pandemic, which was emergency remote working, and what we've been doing since. And I think the organisations that have taken good learnings see that if you want to retain staff in the current tight labour market, we must offer flexibility. And remote working is obviously one form of that. And hybrid working is where a lot of companies land. But I think when you see Zoom, and Zoom, remember now, their business model is encouraging. It's as good online as it is, you know, to be in the office. You can use Zoom, etc., yet they're insisting that people come into the office. And a lot of these tech companies, very much the same. You know, they would have been saying, we'll employ people globally. doesn't matter where you're based, you know, because we can do this remotely. And we see now they're starting to change that ethos. So I think we have to not just resort to everybody has to come back into the office as the solution, because as you rightly said in the introduction, we, we have a lot of people that this is now part of their way of working and if the company won't facilitate a certain amount of remote working to suit the type of job they do, they're going to look elsewhere to get that flexibility because their work-life balance and the commute and juggling life means that they've got used to this and it really works well for them. Of course, Irish employees now have the right to request remote working and there's been some substantial changes after coming into Irish labour law and indeed some more coming down the tracks very, very shortly. So for most companies, we could say, look, you've got to sit down with your employees and review this maybe on a one-to-one basis. So what input can an employee have in terms of designing what their working week looks like? Or indeed, can management just compel them to come to work on certain days because it's all based on management need? How is that going to play out, do you think? So at the minute, that legislation hasn't been enacted yet. So um, the miscellaneous provisions bill has allowed for the right to uh, request remote and flexible working for family and for caring responsibilities. Remote is open to absolutely anybody to request. But ultimately, that's a right to request. 
and the company need to consider it in line with their business requirements. That doesn't mean to say they have to facilitate it. You know, so each company will be looking at their business case. But I suppose our general advice has been try and look at better ways of ensuring high productivity, managing remote employees. And that requires new skills for the employees, but also new skills for the managers. And for a lot of companies, they actually haven't given any tools or any skills to the managers or to the employees, yet we expect them to do a whole new way of working. And there are, like I suppose, very clever common sense tips and techniques on how we can help productivity for employees to plan their time, etc., and equally to help managers manage people in a remote setting. So I think we have to, as organisations, really look at are we doing all we can to maximise productivity and is there more we could be doing? But I also think there's a bit of collaboration and a bit of give and take required. For example, new employees, you might say, well, look, when you're starting out for the first couple of weeks, you need to be present more. But then their manager needs to be present in the office more as well. But at least it's for a limited amount of time and it's for a specific purpose. And I do think you'll get a lot of buy-in for that. But I think um, there's going to be a lot of pushback to the rule of, you just need to come back because a lot of people have relocated to different locations around Ireland, for example, and they can work from remote hubs. We've seen loads of them mushroom during um, the last couple of years. And a lot of people love the fact that they can work at, in different locations and in different times to suit family circumstances. So I think we have to do a bit of a root and branch to see what's working, what is it we need to improve, and also, can we do more to ensure we're maximising the potential of the future work that I believe, at least hybrid, is definitely here to stay fully remote. I think works in certain jobs, but not all as effectively as it could. And of course, we are at a, a pretty much a maxed out labour force at the minute, like unemployment rates have never been as low. So if you're wondering that employee, will they actually make that decision of not coming back to work or changing jobs because they've changed location? The likelihood is there could be a lot of good offers for them out there. But on that staff at Google, they're expected back at least three days a week in the US now. And company have even told workers that, that attendance may affect their performance reviews, that they're trying to crack down on the worst offenders. So can an employee actually refuse outright to come back to the office? And, uh, you know, would would labour and employment law protect them in that stance? So in Ireland, if we look at it from an Irish perspective, ultimately your place of work is what it says in the contract of employment. And, you know, in the scenarios that um, we've read about in, you know, Google, etc., they've said that the place of work has been in the office and people have a requirement to be in the office in that regard. So ultimately, if that's your place of work, that's your place of work, unfortunately. But I suppose ultimately it's that collaboration and that consultation and that engagement with the employee that's really important now. <clears throat> I think, Ronan, we're, we're definitely seeing that the blanket, if you say you come back or else, is going to encourage somebody to go, well, look, I'm going to go elsewhere because ultimately the contract of employment dictates what the custom and practice has become for an employee. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of people, too, when you break it down to individual roles, there may be 
certain kind of key points of the week where they do have to be at least present either in an office or maybe at their desk or working from home. And I think if people can have that conversation with their employer and sort of put those terms and conditions maybe back into the contract or as an addendum as well, that might lead for a very positive relationship going forward. But I think undoubtedly it's an area that's going to bring a lot of uh, consternation, consultation um, and indeed maybe contention over the next couple of years as, as companies begin to sort it out. But for now, Caroline, yeah. as always, thank you so much for coming on with us this evening and, uh, and, and for steering companies in the right direction on this. A pleasure. Thanks, Ronan. Good evening. And Thanks. That's Caroline Reed there of the HR suite. So, yeah, definitely one to watch out for as well. And say lots of kind of stats and, and uh, insights coming from the States there as well. But I think Caroline put it beautifully at the end. You, if you're going to turn around and tell people you have to be in the office for two, three, four days a week, be, be careful. They may just vote with their feet because, again, we're at a burgeoning labour market out there. There's plenty of opportunities for a lot of people. So just watch how you do that. Engage your employees, talk to them, see what their wants and needs are. Time now for me to introduce you though to another business. It was set up uh, just over a year ago in July 2022 by the husband and wife team of Michael and Joe White. The business is called Mobility Installations and uh, Michael is on the phone with me now. Michael, uh, good evening. Uh, can you give us an overview of the typical service provided by Mobility Installations? So I suppose, Ronan, um, we, we, fit, we supply and fit uh, handrails, grab rails, stair rails, um, all, I suppose, uh, all rails uh, related to mobility and to, to enhance mobility. And that's really the core, I suppose, centre of our business, really. And is your main business, is it domestic clients or do you work within sort of private sector as well, like our nursing homes? Where, do you, where, is, where, do you, where is the main business generated from? Yeah, it's primarily uh, domestic clients. Uh, we get, I suppose, referrals from the occupational therapy department and nursing department in within Leash Offaly, um at present, and and so so it is more or less working with uh, with the domestic clients, yeah. And what was your own background before you set up the company, and and what led you towards looking at this particular area? Yeah, so I suppose running. I worked for the HSE for twenty eight years, and I decided uh, in twenty two that um, I would just you know make a change, and and um, I suppose for the last number of years within the HSE, I worked with uh, aids and appliances, and. I looked after. I managed to is uh, an aids and appliance store, so I was I was very much involved with um, with uh, the provision of aids and appliances to the clients of Leash Offley. So you were right up to need with the kind of current products and current specs and all that. Did it take much to convince you to go and and, and set a business up? Like you obviously saw a big opportunity there in terms of the, the gap a gap in the market. Yeah, I suppose what I found, uh, I suppose, strange really, in, uh, and it's probably the same in most areas, but in Leash Offaly, the area that I would have known best, um, the we supply aids and appliances to clients, um, whether it be uh, going home from hospital or to to facilitate them in their own homes. And what, what I suppose the, the area I found uh, where I suppose the best, the, the biggest niche was um, we supplied the HSE supplied the equipment, but unfortunately they don't. They didn't set it up. Um, so uh, looking at it from my point of view, I, I thought, you know, if you're given equipment to train, to, and if they if they don't have anyone to set it up, um, you know, that was I suppose it wasn't of great use to them. And I suppose given so the would, given the equipment you're talking about, there, like particularly grab rails or are your handles or guide rails for people to get to be mobile around their house, it can't just be stuck on a wall. It really has to be done properly because it's of, of such importance. Is that a is that a big factor? Maybe a big issue for potential clients then who just really don't know how to go about installing these items. 
Exactly, Ron, and, and I suppose that's where we found that you know people, if they had it or they or, or if it had been delivered to them, that a, I suppose they found it very difficult to get somebody to, to fit it for them. In that it, it needed to, be, to fit a certain criteria, and you know they need, I suppose, looking at whether the house had had block walls or stud walls that um, that they needed to be fixed correctly. And I suppose that was the whole point in in you know having them in that they, they would be secure and allow people to you know to to have more more mobility in their own home. And I suppose like modern building regulations, you know, there's a certain level of kind of mobility spec that goes at a house now, but I mean, there's such an old stock of housing out there too. I'm sure that also presents, you know, opportunities for yourselves because the houses, they weren't originally designed to be that, that accessible. So probably things like yeah. ramps and maybe take, taking out steps, that's all part of the services that you deliver. It is indeed, yeah, and I suppose that's it is to try and and I suppose every house is unique, and it's to try and fit it around the client. I suppose is 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 the big thing, and and to make it work that you know that to keep people at home as long as possible at least. And do you um, do you see it on a kind of a day to day basis? I suppose your experience at the HSE maybe might help guide the answer to this one, but. Are people maybe looking at getting things like handrails in maybe at an earlier stage of life now, maybe rather than as a reaction to maybe a, a fall or indeed just, just getting older very quickly or something and, and having to try and get it done at a later stage? Are people looking at their houses a bit earlier now to make them more accessible? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And what we have found, Ron, in in more recent time is that they do, you know, they're looking at, at ways of, of just ensuring that, that they don't fall or they don't have a an accident. And I suppose particularly where you have clients, um, you know, that are slightly older and, you know, the worry is that if they do fall, that they're going to end up, you know, in hospital for a long period of time. So they do, they're taking, I suppose, measures into their own hands and, and, and getting those uh, simple things. If it's, you know, a, even a, a rail outside the door or a, you know, rails in the bathroom just to, to ensure that, that they don't have that accident that, you know, that um, would, would send them to hospital, I suppose. And you mentioned how the HSE will often supply the equipment that's needed Then a company like yourselves can come along and help install it. Are there any further grants then that are available to people if they were looking at having a house modified? Yeah, absolutely. And the council uh, provide grants for ramps and rails and uh, for, you know, renovations of bathrooms. There's quite a few uh, quite a few grants that are available through the through the local council, um, and very accessible too. You know, to whether it's to um, ensure that the bathroom is more accessible, or you know, f- or from a, a ramp and rails point of view, from from the external. Um, so so those grants are available, and you know, the f- uh, forms are available from the local councils. Anybody that has been keeping an eye on the, the last number of census around the country will know not only have we got a growing population in Ireland, but actually the older population is continuing to grow in numbers and indeed will for the foreseeable future as well. And that's, I'm sure you see that as, as a potential opportunity for, for the likes of mobility installations there with that ageing population and hopefully should uh, generate lots of new clients for you. Yeah, and it seems to do, Ronan, in that, you know, I suppose the huge emphasis now on people, you know, trying to stay in their own homes for as long as possible. And uh, and that's so, and people are, as you say, um, you know, we have, I suppose, a more aged population now. And we're, so, you know, everyone is trying to uh, ensure that they can stay in their own homes. Uh, I suppose we learned through COVID that we were a little safer in our own homes and, uh, so, so people are, I think, more conscious of it now than ever. It is. I think it's a huge part of that that quality of life as well to be able to stay in your own home as long as possible too. But I suppose, Michael, you mentioned you're you're a year in business, just over a year now. How has year one been for yourself and Joe? 
It's been good uh, running, thank God. Yeah, and yeah, we've. Uh, I suppose every every week we seem to it, it improves and um, but we love doing it. I suppose that's the that's the secret to it. Um, it's it's the it's the reward. I suppose in uh, when you when you when you see how the difference it makes to clients. I suppose that's that there's your reward uh, in that uh, you know. Uh, a simple thing, as I say, uh, a handrail outside the door can make such a massive difference to somebody with mobility in, uh, issues. So, so I suppose, yeah, we're we're doing quite well. We're we're very happy at the minute. I suppose even, uh, long may it last. even things like changing weather conditions can have a, a huge impact on somebody's mobility or need stability around. So a handrail can can certainly be very welcome in that. The um, yeah. I suppose as well as do you also offer? I meant to ask you a, like a consultancy service. Do you go to a house to look at what people may need before, say, the HSE might supply parts? Is, is that a, is that something that you do, or indeed will factor in at some point? It may factor. Currently, um, it, it, an awful lot of our referrals would come from where the occupational therapist calls out to a client's home and assesses their, their needs. And um, the, the clients are given the option then to either call us or, um, you know, if, if, they, if they had somebody else uh, to do it. But, but generally, they would give us a call and we'll, uh, we'll follow the guidelines of, of uh, what the occupational therapist has, uh, has recommended. Um, so that, and also then we do get uh, independent calls from clients to to call out where somebody just has identified an area that they might need uh, assistance. You know, so that that's another part of it too. And you're probably ideally you know located there in Emo. Do you see do you see yourself expanding the business right out across Leinster and indeed further afield in the coming years? Please God, yeah. We we, we you know we we always say wherever the work is, we'll go. You know, and um, where we probably started off in Leash Offaly, we tend to feel, you know, whether that's Kildare or Carlo or Kenny or, or even Dublin, you know, we we've we've no issue in going wherever wherever it is. Um and we've have found that in the last year where um, you know, where we we're getting calls from different areas. And for people who want to find G, what's the best way of going about finding out more about mobility installations? Yeah, so we um we can be found on Facebook uh, under mobility installations. Uh, and we also have a website uh, info at uh, mobilityinstallations.ie um, and you know you can email us on on that, um, and uh, we'll we'll get back to anyone that has any queries or questions for us. Well, Michael, sounds absolutely fantastic, and congratulations to yourself and Joe on getting the business set up as well. And it certainly sounds like there's a bright future ahead of you. Thanks a million, Ron. I really appreciate that. Please God, it will. Yeah. It's just lovely there to hear of new businesses on Michael and Joe White there from Mobility Installations. Their tagline is helping you get around a year in business and certainly ambitious and big plans and great times ahead for them, hopefully. And that's it. Love hearing about local businesses setting up and developing something great and ultimately creating employment in the Midlands region. If you have a similar story, 083 3010 103 by text or WhatsApp or business at midlands103.com is how you'll reach me by email. Time for a short break and after that we're going to look at conveyancy and indeed prolonged um, periods of time in order to complete the whole conveyancy process. IPAV, the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers, have some kind of statistics and research done on this and they're noticing amongst their members actually some frustration beginning to rise and to the extent that it may ultimately uh, turn out that offers would be withdrawn from the market as well, be with people getting frustrated by the length of time taking. So Pat David from IPAV will be along after break to look at that a little bit closer. Taking care of business with thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.
The Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers, or IPAV, is warming, warning that loan offers are being withdrawn because of delays in conveyancing. The vast majority of its members, 84%, say sales of homes have fallen through due to delays in the conveyancing process. CEO of IPAV, Pat Davitt, joins me now. Pat, uh, what, are, what sort of delays are we typically seeing in this? I suppose give us a comparison of what it was like in the past and, and what your members are seeing now. Good evening, Ronan. Um, I think one of the, the big problems is that uh, 88% of our members have experienced delays in convincing process just throughout the whole of the process. But from the mortgage point of view, we see that 70% of our members have cre- have, have uh, who took part in the survey, which 534 members took part in it, 70% of them have seen occasional delays in mortgage uh, uh, withdrawals being withdrawn or mortgage approvals being withdrawn because of the fact that the conveyancing process goes on too long. And those clients then have to go back to the bank and get uh, their mortgage uh, documentation redone again or reapplied or whatever they have to do to get them back on track again, are, uh, which is a big hassle are, for people. Are rising interest rates having an effect on that too then if uh, if the conveyancy is delayed and interest rates continue to rise, is that, is that also a factor? Well, we haven't actually seen that as being a factor yet, but I would imagine that that could well be a factor that we may not have had seen at all because obviously repayments are going up on that as well. So when you go back with your loan approval, you may, your your payments may well be larger and you might be outside of your target area that you want to be in in the first place. So that could be causing a problem run indeed. And interest rates have gone up considerably, as you're well aware yourself, uh, so that we're after having eight or nine rises in interest rates in the past year alone. Um, so that, yes, uh, I suppose the one thing about it is that 4% have of, our, of the members taking part in this have seen a, a lot of this happening. So it's not a huge number, but at the same time, 4% of a lot of transactions is quite a, is quite a number of transactions and it is a problem. But it's only one of the problems, Roland, that we have found uh, in the conveyancing process at the moment. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to highlight it, number one. And number two, we have a bill going through the doll, the second reading on the 5th of October, where we're trying to bring about a situation where... Uh, Conveyancing documents that solicitors would normally use and put together for public auction sales and online sales, that those documents would be put together for all of private treaty sales before a property goes in the market. So it means that then when you do find a purchaser or the agent finds a purchaser, that the sale can be concluded pretty quickly when you go back to their solicitor again. Um, so I, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and hopefully if our bill gets a reading and gets support in the doll on the 5th of October, we will be able to do that, Ronan. Um, it also shows too and talks about delays like it takes a while to get these bills through. I remember back, I think about two years ago, um, this was being brought to the doll, I think by Mark McSharry as well. How confident are you that it will get through this stage? Well, we're not we're not confident at all. Like, you know, we're, we're going there, we're presenting our case because when you... Uh, this has been very successful at the moment. Like we're not trying something. This isn't reinventing the wheel. This has been happening for decades with public auctions and, on, and online auctions. When you go to an auction on the day for public auction, you can sign the contract and your sister is happy with the documentation prior to the auction so that you can actually sign the documents. So we're hoping that we'll get into a situation like this. And we're well aware that there are many stumbling blocks with uh, legal papers for solicitors, etc., that they have to collect, including mortgage deeds and including planning documentation. So it's not the solicitor's fault either, this scenario. But what we were saying is that it would be a much better situation if those documents were got together first and then you go ahead with the sale. And we believe that the convincing times could be halved. And we also believe that this practice of gazumping could wouldn't be won't ever be stamped out I don't think but certainly it will be uh, helped to be stamped out which I think would be a very good thing for purchasers as well 
when you reckon the conveyancy could be halved, is that from, is it from four months down to two months or what's your own expectations on that? Uh, our own expectations is that uh, from the time that a property goes in the market and a sale agreed to the time a contract is signed, we'd like to see that down to four to six weeks, which we don't think is impossible to do. And I think if we got to that situation, at least uh, the unsurety for people at a time when they're buying a property and probably one of the biggest transactions of their life at that particular time, it's a lot, it's a nervous time for people. You buy a property, you have a con- waiting for a contract out there until such time as you sign that contract, uh, you don't actually know that the sale is going to happen or not. Uh, so that it is a very, very anxious time. And we're hoping that this, that this piece of legislation, which is more so a consumer piece of legislation than anything else, that if and when that comes through, that that will put an end to a lot of that worry for, for, for people in that particular stage because you can imagine buying a property and selling a property trying to move out of one trying to move into another trying to get contracts for one to sign to sell and trying to get contracts for the other to buy it's not all that easy and it's not easy certainly for people doing this so we think this is a real smart move we think it's going to change the uh, property conveyancing uh, situation completely and we believe it's going to be good for purchasers for sellers we believe it's going to be good for people taking part in the sales solicitors uh, auctioneers we believe it'll be all around it will be a very very good process once we get it up and running I think as well a lot of people if they've experience in trying to buying or selling a house too I mean getting the mortgage you say probably the biggest uh, loan you'll ever take out the biggest uh, transaction you'll ever be involved in but there's all the other parts in the conveyancy too it's not just the planning there's all those little bits like if it's not your uh, principal residence getting the you know the sign off that it and all that kind of stuff there's lots of maybe hidden stuff that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of so I think for, for both sides having that out in the open before the property goes in the market would save you can see how it would save months if not uh, half a year maybe well, yes, we think that this, if we're able to get this uh, happening, we think it's going to be a game changer for the way property conveyancing happens at the moment. And as we say, uh, there's no reason why this can't happen because it happens for public auctions and for private treaties and uh, for those sales right now. And I know that it's going to take a little while to bed it in, more than the uh, the same sort of a process, even though it's slightly different in England has taken, has taken quite a while to bed in. But at the same time, uh, this process will take a certain amount because there's going to be a time lag now at the time that you put your property for sale and by the time those documents are ready. So that five, six, eight weeks will be at the front of the process now and people won't know about the property until such time as the actual property goes in the market and all the documents are ready. And one other thing, Ronan, that is going to obviously sort out as well, which is a big thing in many, many cases, is that there are some properties on the market which actually can't be sold because there are rights of ways or different things with it, which the auctioneer isn't aware of when they take on the property and the vendor possibly hasn't gone to their solicitor to find out what the situation is with selling the property. So the auctioneer takes it on in, in good faith, sells the property possibly in good faith and then finds that it can't be completed. Whereas now when this happens, uh, those properties, the documentation will have to be correct in the first place. So again, if there's going to be side effects for this, which we hope is going to be are going to be good ones. Very briefly, Pat, does digitalization have a role in this in terms of speeding up that process? I think e-conveyancing has a role in it. And we've been talking about this for many, many years, but it just hasn't happened. So until such time, probably as it does happen, this is a, a process that is going to help. And if e-conveyancing comes in, uh, we're led to believe in many other countries. And I know in, in, in a couple of countries that 
uh, these sales can be done in a number of days if you really want them to be. So if e-conveyancing comes in, I think it will change the whole process altogether. But at the same time, these documents that we are speaking about, they have to be got. Solicitor has to get them. It's a lot of hassle for them as well. So that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, agents are waiting for the documents to come through. They're in the front line people selling the property, their vendors, people purchasing the property, purchasers that are after buying them off the agents, uh, they're coming to them asking them, where's the contracts? What's happening? My solicitor can't get this. This can't happen. So, you know, at the end of the day, we think this will be a big change, a game changer. And we think hopefully if we get it through and we'll be looking for support from all uh, TDs of all colours and crides in the doll on the 5th of October, but hopefully people will see it that this will be a real good thing for the property market and hopefully it'll help conveyancing that far, bring it probably uh, at least uh, half as, it, it'll only take half as much time hopefully by the time this process is finished. I'm sure that's welcome news for anybody involved in the property sector as well. Pat David, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Pat there, of course, is the Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Institute of Property, or sorry, of uh, Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. They're, of course, Castle Pollard-based as well. A really interesting proposal and uh, would be one that, if it can be brought through, will make a huge difference, as Pat has outlined there. Now, coming near the end of the show, but before I do, um, I copped this on Facebook just yesterday. Um, if you're familiar with Tullamore Cycle Centre, run a course by the legend himself, Mr. Dunham McArdle, and... Uh, one of his partners in crime down there is a certain Mr. Damien Mitchell. And uh, Damien turned up to work last week on the day of his 50th birthday. Now, he doesn't look a day over 49 in fairness to him, but he was met by Dunn at the door with some rather, rather large balloons. Now, as it transpires, Damien's quite a creative guy. They have a bike in there that is called the Ridley Helium. So Damien took it on himself to do a very, very novel piece of uh, social media promotion for the company. Have a listen. There she is, boys and girls, the Ridley Helium, lightest bike on the market, right? Hydraulic oil disc brakes. Hydraulic oil disc brakes, okay, 11 speed 105, the best bike on the market. So get down to Tullamore Cycle Centre and ride the Ridley Helium. There you go. Couldn't have put it much better myself. That's Damien Mitchell there from Tullamore Cycle Centre in the Tanyar Tullamore. Listen, happy 50th birthday, Damien. And uh, here's to continued success to yourself and Dunna there in that business. That's it for me for this evening. Thank you as always for joining. I'll be back next Tuesday from 7pm. Take care. Joe's here next with Country Roads after news at 8. Taking care of business. Returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.